0: let me i'll just just kind of start off our time together with a question before we actually dive into the text have you ever met somebody and upon first impression maybe just meet them out somewhere maybe a mutual friend introduces you and you're thinking like, man, which is I have so much in common with this other person, like I just sense that there's something there. we're probably going to become really good friends. you just kind of have that impression, and so you kind of start off this relationship thinking, man, this is going to blossom into this incredible, close friendship that's going to be mutually beneficial, but then somewhere along the line you realize that the other person that you thought was going to be such a good friend actually doesn't really care about being your friend at all. But in fact, they're actually trying to use you for something. Has anybody else had that experience? That is super super painful. And I think this has really kind of been amplified, I would say, by the advent of social media, right? It's such a common thing now. And so now we call people friends who we don't even really know. Like they're not even really acquaintances. Like I got a thousand friends on Facebook. That does not mean you have a thousand friends. And so, um, man, we, I got this thing now, Cheryl and I, about, about once a year, we'll get like a Facebook messenger request from somebody from like middle school, right? Like, so I, like, I have not seen this person, talk to this person in like two decades, right? And it usually starts off like, Hey, Chris, or hey, Cheryl, exclamation point. Man, it's so good to see you on social media. And, man, I've been following your family, and you got a beautiful wife, and your kids are growing up. And, man, the next time that we're in Asheville, we'd love to get together. And I'm thinking, who are you? Like, the last time I saw you, you were mocking me in the locker room in sixth grade, right? And now, all of a sudden, we're best friends. Like, what is going on here? And then, all of a sudden, they get to it. Hey, I got this business I think would be perfect for you, man. I'm selling essential oils, or I'm selling this over here. Man, I think you would be a great teammate. Right? And I'm just like, delete, delete, delete. Right? We have such a different idea of what friendship is. In the first century, right, when the gospel writers were writing and putting these documents together, friendship was something that was real, and it was relational, Right And people went, went deep together. And so this is what biblical friendship is. And so what James, the little brother of Jesus, is going to do this morning is he's going to use that really familiar picture of friendship to drive home a really important spiritual truth for us this morning morning. And so if you're new here, I think you picked a great week. We're going through the book of James. And what James has been doing for us over the course of the last five or six weeks is just breaking down these false categories of faith in order to show us what authentic faith in Jesus Christ actually looks like. And so here's the whole premise. If I could kind of boil it down, the whole premise of the letter is this. Authentic faith in Jesus is not just intellectual belief in Jesus. And authentic faith in Jesus is not just giving lip service to belief in Jesus, but it's actually experiencing a life transformation where Jesus begins to change your life. And so my question for you as we start is simply this, has Jesus changed your life? Has Jesus changed your life? And I'm not asking you if you're, if you're churchy or you grew up in church or you know some Bible verses or your grandpa was a preacher. I'm not asking you any of those things. I'm simply asking you, you personally, has Jesus actually changed your life? And if you would honestly have to say, no, I'm not sure that he has, that, that's okay. James is going to tell us that there is hope, right? There's hope for all of us, regardless of where we are. And so if you have a Bible, let me just encourage you, turn it on, open it up, head for James chapter four. James chapter four, we're going to hang out the first 12 verses today. It'll be on the screen for you if you don't have a Bible. This is what James, little bro, Jesus writes. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions are actually at war within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, and so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Now, we briefly hit on these verses last week. If you were here last week, you may remember that James sort of unveiled two types of wisdom. He said there's worldly wisdom which is going to lead you into jealousy and selfish ambition, disordered passions, conflict in your relationships. But he says, man, there's, there's also this other kind of wisdom. Not, it's not worldly wisdom. It's actually godly wisdom. It comes down from above, and this is the kind of wisdom that's going to lead you into a life of peace and mercy, and your relationship with God and other people is going to begin to flourish. And he asked, man, like, what is it that causes all of this junk in our lives, Like all this strife, all this conflict, all this jealousy, all these disordered passions in our life, what causes all of that? What James says last week, is he goes, listen, guys, all of that stuff at the end of the day really is not about what's going on outside of you. It's about what is going on inside of you. That was kind of the bomb he dropped, right? So your main problem is not your crazy mother-in-law. Your main problem is not your spouse or your nutsy neighbor. At the end of the day, your main problem is not external at all. It's actually internal. And so James said, listen, guys, this is why you need godly wisdom, This is why you need to turn away from the wisdom of the world and find uh, wisdom in God. And today, what James is going to do is he's going to give us a really relevant challenge that I think we all need to hear and apply to our lives if we want to flourish spiritually, especially, guys, listen, especially in today's day and age where it seems to me that there are more and more professing Christians that are just being kind of wooed in by the world and the things of the world instead of being just enraptured by Jesus and his kingdom. And so what James is gonna do is what he's been doing the whole book. He's gonna kind of slap us around a little bit. He, he always does that uh, in love, even though it's painful. James is kind of a tough love kind of guy, uh, but we all at times in our lives need a little tough love, don't we? I, I know I do, and James is happy to give that to us, all right? So this is, that's your, kind of your fair warning. Let's jump in, starting in verse four. He says this, you adulterous people, Right, you adulterous people. Now, what is going on here? So far, if you've been with us for, for the previous study, James has always been addressing his readers with terms of endearment: brothers, dear brothers, beloved brothers. And all of a sudden, now he's, he flips the switch and he's like, Man, you adulterous people. You spiritual harlots, right? James is getting kind of worked up. He's getting a little spicy about this. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to grab our attention. He's using provocative language to try to wake us up. Say, so, hey, guys, listen, this is, this is important. I need you to come in. I need you to draw close because what I'm about to say is really, really relevant and important. And he continues on in verse 4, and he says this. Do you not know? Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Now, that word enmity is not a word that we use a whole lot anymore, but this is basically what it means. It means hostility. Friendship with the world, James is saying, is actually hostility against God. See, friend, you you have to understand that when you choose friendship with the world over Jesus, that's not just a neutral decision. Like, yeah, it's cool, man. I'll I'll be friends with Jesus on Sunday and when I hang out with my small group, but then I'm going to hang out and be friends with the world as well, and there's not really a conflict in that. And James is saying, no, 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 no. That is not a neutral decision. That is actually an act of aggression towards the God of this universe. It's a massive deal. It's a huge deal. It's the biggest of deals. Like you, This should concern you. So he continues on in the same line of thought. He says, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world, listen to this, makes himself an enemy of God. So James is giving us a, a pressing problem here, isn't he? This is kind of a significant thing. Now he's also gonna give us, thank God, a solution in just a minute, but here's the pressing problem, and this is truth number one for you note takers. This will be on the screen. James would say this, friendship with the world equals spiritual adultery. And what he's saying is, guys, listen, this is no small thing when you embrace the world system of living for yourself and constantly just pursuing more stuff for yourself and material stuff and seeking fulfillment outside of God's good design for us as human beings, what you have done is you have pitted yourself against the God of this universe. Universe. Now, here, here's, here's what I tend to see a lot of in our culture. What I see a lot of right now in our culture, America 2021, are professing Christians who are doing their darndest to ride the fence. Just kind of surf the middle. And so the attitude goes something like this. Yeah, yeah sure, I, I love Jesus. I mean, I go, I, I go to church at least once a month, man. I post a Bible verse on my Insta account at least twice a year. I mean, I'm kind of cool with Jesus, but I also like all these otherworldly things, and I want to pursue all these otherworldly things. I'm going to spend all my money on me without giving any thought to how I should be investing the resources that God gives me into his kingdom. I'm going to pursue relationships and sexuality based on how I feel in the moment instead of according to God's good design that he's laid out ultimately for my good. So the attitude is, yeah, yeah, I, I'm not. like I'm friends with Jesus. Like we're kind of cool. I'm cool with Jesus. He's my homeboy. But I also am kind of friends with the world. And James is saying to us this morning in love, you fool, you little fool, you adulterer, you spiritual harlot. Don't you understand that you have made yourself an enemy against God? Now, lest you think James is getting carried away or I'm getting carried away with James' point here, let me, let's just listen to the words of Jesus here in Revelation chapter three to the, the church in a city named Laodicea, all right? So seven churches that Jesus addresses in the book of Revelation, this is one of them. This is the one to me as I read about those seven churches that most closely resembles the church in America in 2021. So I think we could just as easily take this and apply this to us and our church culture today. Listen to the words of Jesus. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Ouch. And is that not the condition of many churches and Christians across this landscape in this country now today? In fact, earlier in Luke's gospel, chapter 11, Jesus is performing all these miracles and His critics actually, they can't deny his miracles anymore because he's doing them so frequently. So they they begin to accuse him of using demonic power to accomplish these demons. Like these, these very people who wanted miracles and who asked for miracles would then criticize Jesus for the very miracles that they wanted. And I want you to listen to the response of Jesus to his critics. This is what he said. Whoever is not with me is against me. Jesus just obliterates this whole idea that you can be hot spiritually and cold spiritually at the same time, that you can love Jesus and be friends with Jesus and friends with the world simultaneously. It just shouldn't be this way. Now, listen, if you're sitting there and you're thinking, man, this is a good message for my coworker. Man, he is lukewarm as junk. I'm gonna send this to him. And as soon as this is over, man, my teenage kid in college, they need to hear this because they're lukewarm. Let me, just, let me just encourage you to hit pause for a minute. And I wanna say to you, nobody needs this message from James to the power of the Holy Spirit more than you do this morning. Yeah, you. Now, here's, here, here's why. And I want you to listen to me. We are all of us. Every single person in this room, every single person that's tuned in on the live stream, every single one of us are guilty of this. We are all spiritual adulterers. We're all harlots. We've all run around on God. We've all cheated on God. We've all chosen to one degree or another friendship with the world, and we have spit in the face of the one who loves us best, and knows us the most, and here's why that matters so much. Here's why you shouldn't just kind of like file this away, and like this little preacher boy is kind of getting worked up. But this really doesn't have anything to do with my life. Here's why it matters to you in your life. Look at verse five. James says this, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns? That's God. He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us. Now, there's some debate about the best way to interpret this verse, but here's the bottom line. And this is the second truth this morning I think James will give us. This will be on the screen. Some of you need to hear this this morning. God is relentlessly jealous for you. So we get this imagery starting in the Old Testament, running all the way its course through the New Testament of God as husband and his people as his bride. And that's one reason why marriage is is so important to the Christian ethic is because it's, it's not ultimately just about marriage is not just about what we want as human beings. It's actually a picture that's been designed by God to paint an ultimate picture of his relationship to his people. And so God is jealous for the affections of his people. Now understand this. Divine jealousy is not like our jealousy, right? Because most of us, when we experience jealousy, it's from a root of sin, right? We see something that somebody else has. We see that someone else accomplishes something that we want to accomplish. We begin to feel jealous. It's envy, it's sinful. But divine jealousy is different. It's not burst from insecurity, right? It's actually righteous jealousy. It's holy indignation for the good of those that he loves. Let me, if I could, maybe just illustrate this for a moment let's say that hypothetically somebody that had a lot of power and money flew over here from i don't europe or something like that and i was at work one day and uh, while i was gone they came into my house and they kidnapped my wife and they kidnapped my kids and they get on a private jet and they fly back to europe or wherever he's from and he tells my wife hey listen i'm i'm your husband now i want you to address me as as your husband and he gets down with my three little kids and he says hey listen i'm your daddy now I, I, want you to, I want you to call me daddy. I can tell you that when I got home and I figured out what was going on, I could tell you that I, am, I would be experiencing righteous jealousy, right? Because anything, anyone that attempts to take my wife, my kids, their affection away from me, I promise you is gonna be met, met with the fiercest resistance possible, right? Like I'm gonna immediately go out and hire some former Navy SEALs. I'm gonna learn some stuff. And then I'm gonna be on a private jet and I'm gonna take care of some business, right? I'm taking somebody out because I'm gonna do whatever it takes to pursue my family and restore them to me. That is righteous jealousy. Reminds me of one of, the, one of my favorite scenes in, in a movie, uh, Taken, if, you, if you've seen that. Basically, uh, Liam Nelson, y'all, y'all remember that, that movie? So he's, he's basically like his, his, his daughter gets kidnapped, right, and he's a bad dude. Uh, I don't know if he's like former special forces, something like that. And, uh, and so he goes after his daughter who's been kidnapped and I think one of the best speeches ever in the history of the world, he, he finally finds a cell phone number of the kidnappers and he calls them and this is what he says. This is what he says. He says, I don't know who you are. I don't even know what you want. If you're looking for a ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But here's what I do have. What I do have are, is a very particular set of skills. Skills I have acquired over a very long and successful career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go right now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you and I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you, I will find you, and I will kill you. And the rest of the movie is Liam Nelson kicking down doors and killing bad guys, and it's awesome. It's awesome. It's, it's incredible. And at the very end, he rescues his daughter, man, and they embrace. And it. it's just like, yeah, good triumphs over evil. You kill him, boy. You get him. It's awesome. That is righteous jealousy, right? Righteous jealousy. So, this is what James is talking about here righteous jealousy, holy indignation. He's not talking about petty jealousy like most of us experience. And here's what James says the picture in our case is even worse because it's like, listen. It's like we've been kidnapped by another lover, in this case the world system, the world, and we actually chose to go with them and enjoyed it. So that, that that's that's the closest reflection of what you guys are doing with God. So like just imagine I the scenario that I just painted where somebody, some dude flies over and he kidnaps Cheryl and the kids. And let's say I, 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 tr- I hire those Navy SEALs. I go Liam Nelson. I fly over there. I kick down doors. I kill all the bad guys. I bust in. And I'm like, I'm finally here, Cheryl, kids. I'm gonna rescue you. You're safe. And they kind of look at me and they go, Meh, I don't know, dad. He's got a pool. I mean, like he's got a hot tub. Can, like, can we like hang out here? We'll just come home, see you for the summer or something like that. James is saying that that, that's actually the picture, a closer relation of what you guys are doing with God in the world. And even still, even still, God is relentlessly, jealously coming after you. I love the quote that Pastor Jonathan shared a week or two ago from Eugene Peterson. I'm going to put it on the screens for you. This is what Peterson writes. He says, God loves you. Some of y'all need to hear this. God loves you. God is on your side. He is coming after you. And he is relentless. And for some of you, you're here this morning just to hear that message. Because I know for a fact, for some of you right now, you feel far from God. You feel distance from God. You feel like God has forgotten you. You feel like perhaps he's abandoned you. Or for maybe for some of you, you feel like you've gone too far for God to ever forgive you or ever to love you again. And if that's you, James is saying, no, 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 beloved. God is jealous for you. He is jealous for you. He is after you. He is in relentless pursuit of you. Now what, what's, what's God's response when we turn our back on him? When we choose to run away with the kidnapper and we enjoy it and we chase of other lovers instead of the lover of our souls, what's God's response to that type of rebellion and spiritual adultery that by the way, again, every single one of us in this room are absolutely guilty of? What's his response, look, look at verse six. But he gives more grace. Some of the most beautiful words in the entire Bible. His response to us spitting in his face and chasing other lovers is he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So what James is saying there is he's going, guys, listen, we, we are all harlots. We are all guilty of spiritual adultery. We're all guilty of friendship with this world. But instead of God giving us what we deserve, which is his rejection and separation from him forever in a place the Bible calls hell, instead, his response is to give us more grace. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Romans says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So here's what that means for you practically. God hasn't run out of grace for you, my friend. God has not run out of grace, so if if you're out there and you feel like, man, you've just exhausted God's grace, I want you to know, you're wrong, pal. You have not gone too far, you have not gone too deep, you have not exhausted, you cannot exhaust the grace of God. You have a messy past, more grace. You're struggling with sin, you're entangled in sin right now in the present, more grace. You sinned last night before you got up and came to church this morning, Guess what awaits you? More grace. And so here's the third truth that I think James would give us. Truth truth number three. God's grace is miles deeper than your darkest sin. Did you know that? God's grace is miles. Like it's not even close. Miles deeper than your darkest sin. And understand this. You are guilty. And I am too. You are an adulterer. And yet, simultaneously, God's grace is relentlessly after you. And that, my friends, is really good news this morning. Now, how should we respond to this type of grace in the face of our spiritual adultery against the God of this universe? Here's here's how we should respond, according to James, starting in verse 7, to this amazing grace, astonishing, breathtaking grace. This is how we should respond. He says this, submit yourselves... Therefore, to God. How do we do that, James? Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So when we experience the boundless grace of God, our response, listen to me, is to joyfully submit to him. We just, we just wave the white flag in our lives. We learn to let go. We learn to lay down our hostility and our spiritual adultery against God. And we say, okay, God, my life is yours. My my life is yours, God. I'm I'm tired of just giving you like 70% of my life. I'm I'm tired of just giving you like 90% of my life, God. I want to submit all of my, nothing is off limits to your spirit in my life. I'm giving you all of my life, my thought patterns, my sex life, my finances, how I spend my time, how I spend my recreation time on the weekends. I'm submitting it all to you. God, I submit wholly to you. And that's the next truth, the final one that James gives us. Number four will be on the screens for you is this. Believer, submit your whole life to a holy, good God. Far too many of us have submitted parts of our lives. Have we not? But there are other parts of our lives that we kind of keep in secret and we hold on to. And we try to balance friendship with God and friendship with the world. And we try to balance those two things out. And James is warning us, friends, you're in the danger zone. Don't do that. Submit your whole life to a God who is holy, good, and he loves you, and he's pursuing you. You say, Chris, man, so what does that look like? James gives us three categories of what it looks like to submit our lives to God, and then we'll be done. Here's number one. He says, you've got to learn how to resist the enemy. Resist the enemy. So this is military language. James is saying, hey, look, guys, you have a real enemy, and his sole purpose on this planet is to still kill and destroy your life. And he wants nothing more than just to kind of woo you in and lure you in to embrace friendship with the world in a way that's gonna bring dysfunction and chaos into your life. And James is saying, you need to learn how to fight back. You have an enemy. You need to learn how to fight back. So listen, when you're tempted to lash out with harsh words, James is saying, no, fight back, that's the enemy. When you're tempted to go to that website you know you shouldn't be going to, James is saying, punch back. You have an enemy. Don't just sit there and take it. Fight back. Fight back. When you're tempted to spend all of your resources selfishly on yourself instead of investing in God's kingdom, he's saying, listen, you need to fight back. See, the truth of the matter is Satan is powerful, but if you're a Christian, if you love Jesus, you're following Jesus, you need to understand that you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. Now, there seems to be kind of this myth in a lot of churches or among a lot of Christians that I talk to, and the myth kind of goes like this. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, Jesus is pretty powerful, but, but Satan is kind of like equally powerful. It's kind of like the yin and yang idea, right? And maybe, maybe in the very end, Jesus will kind of nudge out Satan just by a hair and he'll win out. He's just a little bit more powerful. I just wanna tell you, that's garbage. It's not even close, right? Jesus is way up here and Satan is underneath the floor. It is not even close. So listen, if you have the Holy Spirit of God in you, you have the power to fight back. To resist your enemy. And James gives us a promise. He says, if you do that, he will flee. Now listen, that doesn't mean that we'll never sin again. But it, what it does mean is that we don't have to sin. Right? We're, not, we're not slaves to sin any longer. We can choose to fight back. You say, Chris, what does that look like? To, to fight back, to resist the enemy. And we don't have time to get into it. But just very quickly, I'd say three ways that I found helpful to resist the enemy. Number one is to get into the word. All right? I think one reason why a lot of Christians struggle so much is they're not in the word. So you, man, we, we need to saturate our minds and our hearts in the word. You're like, man, I don't understand it. Then reach out, man. We'll get you another Bible. We'll get you a commentary. But you, you need to get into the word of God if you're going to resist the evil one. That's number one, get in the word. The second thing I would say is you need to be in community. You need to get into, into community. The reality is disciples are not made in rows. They're made in circles. If you're not in a small group, if you're not in a Bible study, you should be. You need to be in one. We need to be in Christian community. And the third thing I would say, the third way to resist the devil is to jump into mission. And so I would just ask you, where are you serving in the kingdom of Jesus today? Are you serving somewhere within the body? Are you serving with one of our local partners in the city? Are you serving with one of our global partners somewhere around the world? How are you using the gifts that God has uniquely given you to advance the kingdom of Jesus? So for me, those have been kind of the keys. Get in the word, get into community, jump into mission. That's the way that, we, that I resist. I think we can all resist uh, our enemy. And here's the second way we submit to God. So the first one is resist your enemy. The second one, James says, is you need to learn how to sprint to God. Because here's the truth. Most of us are guilt-oriented. So here's what it looks like. We mess up, we fall into sin. And maybe, I don't know, because of shame, maybe because of fear, what we do is we begin to run from God. We just run from God. And so what that looks like for some of us is we stop going to church, we get out of community, we abandon our small group, we stop praying, we stop reading the Bible, whatever it is, because we are we're ashamed, right, of our sin. And if that's your instinct, when you get tangled up into sin, is to begin to run away from God, what James is saying this morning is stop running away from him. Stop, why are you running away from the one person that can fix what is wrong? Stop running away from him. Start sprinting to him. Don't you understand that he offers more grace? His grace abounds. Run to him. He's not gonna slap you around like some angry alcoholic father with an anger issue. And he's gonna embrace you with wide open arms and welcome you home. So that's how we submit to God. We resist the enemy, we sprint to God. And then the last thing he says is, listen guys, you gotta learn how to turn from your sin. He just said that. This is maybe the one that we struggle with the most as an American church culture. He says, James says, listen, you need to purify your hearts. He says, listen, you need to weep and mourn over your sins. So let let me just ask you personally, when's the last time your heart was broken over your own sin? Not the sin out there, not the sin in our culture. When was the last time your heart was broken over your own sin? And again, let me me just say, man, I think this has always been difficult. I think it's especially difficult now because we live in a culture that encourages us to, to actually celebrate our sin. We talked about this last week, right? All these mantras in our culture. You do you. You follow your heart. You live your truth. Like all these kind of garbage messages that just indoctrinate us into friendship with the world. And James is like, be careful, friends. Be careful with that. Sin, rebellion against God, spiritual adultery is not something that followers of Jesus should ever accept or celebrate or take lightly. And for far too many of us, myself included, lest you think I'm throwing any stones, far too many of us treat our sin as kind of like a pet, right? We just kind of put it on a leash and we walk it around and we pick it up and we pet it and then somebody comes over and we don't want to see it. We put it in the closet, right? And so we just kind of, we just kind of have, oh, isn't this, isn't this really cute? Like I've got control over this. And then all of a sudden we wake up one day and we realize that what we thought was a harmless puppy is actually a grizzly bear that's eating our face off. And James says, no, 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 no. The world will tell you to celebrate your sin, to embrace your sin. But those who have authentic faith in Jesus must learn to turn from it, to repent from it, to run from it, to put it to death in your life daily. You say, Chris, how do I do that? I would just point you to what I just said. Get in the word, get in community, jump into mission. I would maybe add to that. Learn how to be transparent with other people. Take down the mask. So many of us live fake lives. Learn how to confess your sin to other brothers and sisters in Christ that love you. Ask them to hold you accountable. You hold them accountable. Man, I I need that in my life. I'm in a community group for that purpose. I know I need that accountability in my life. I know people need to know me and I need to know them. I need prayer in my life and so do you. So as we humble ourselves, as we submit to God, as we resist the enemy, as we run to God when things get hard, as we learn how to repent and turn from our sin, we experience this grace of God, this abounding grace that then turns us into agents of his grace to other people. And as we humble ourselves, James says, God will exalt us. Beloved, what a friend we have in Jesus. So I just want to say as we close, as the band comes, man, if you have longed, if you have searched for a friend who will never leave you, who will never betray you, who will give you grace upon grace upon grace, listen, look no further than Jesus. You will never find that in the world. You will never find that in another person. Only Jesus can give that to you. And so here's the reality. Friendship with the world will always leave you empty, broken, and confused, so let me just say, maybe you've never turned to Jesus before in your life. Let me just, could I plead with you, turn to Jesus today. Maybe you grew up in church, maybe maybe you know a lot of this stuff, but you've never really given your life to Jesus like James is talking about in a way that transforms your life and you've abandoned friendship with the world and gone all in with the kingdom of God. And if you've never done that, let me just encourage you, cry out today. Just pray to him and say, God, I wanna give you my life. And I don't even know what that means fully. I don't know what that's gonna cost, but it doesn't really matter because I know that I want you and I wanna follow you. And so would you come into my life? Would you give me your spirit? Help me follow Jesus for all of my days. And listen, for others of you, maybe you're here and you're a prodigal like I was in college. And you know Jesus, you've given your life to Jesus, man, but you have been running so hard. And you've been trying to balance those, t- those things and ride that fence and be friends with the world and have your little pet sin over here, but have another foot over here with God and still try to be cool with God. Listen, if you have been running from Jesus, let me just encourage you, do a U-turn today and run back to Jesus. Turn back to him. I wanna just kind of close by reading you the lyrics of an, an old hymn. I remember singing as a boy in church called What a Friend We Have in Jesus. I just wanted to read you some of the lyrics we're gonna pray. Then we're gonna sing. We'll get out of here. This this is what the lyric says: "What what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. This idea of relationship. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptation? Is trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged." Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. What a friend we have in Jesus. Let's take it to him in prayer and then we're gonna sing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we confess. I personally confess that far too often I am wooed in and I am drawn to friendship with the world. I am a spiritual adulterer at heart and it is a constant battle. And God, so would you forgive me? Would you, would you forgive us as a body for trying to ride that fence and be friends with you and also friends with the world? When we realize this is a this is an all-in proposition you don't want just 90% of our hearts. You don't want just 99% of our hearts, God. You, you demand all of us, all of our affection and all of our lives and all of our, our energy and every, all of our allegiance, God. So would you help us to cling to you? And would, would we realize in that process that we're not giving up anything to follow you? Ultimately, God, everything that we're looking for is found in you and in you alone, God. Would you remind us that you're a jealous God that you're coming after us, that you are in relentless pursuit of our hearts. Would you remind us that, our, that your grace is always miles deeper than our darkest sin, God, so we should never run from you. We should always run directly to you. And God, so would you help us to give our lives fully, 100% holy to you, starting today, starting in this very moment, God, and we ask all these things, in the strong and the beautiful name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Church, let's sing and let's worship our King.